Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And Caroline, uh, I don't know about you, but one of my secret favorite movie devices mm-hmm. is the makeover montage. Yeah. I love a good makeover montage. Very satisfying. Yeah. I, what do you think it is about the makeover montage when, say, you know, you, you, you take a geekish, frumpily dressed girl or guy and you see them in a variety of hilarious outfits and then finally, you know, the, the beautiful swan is revealed. There's something about like, ah, finally we're done with that mess. Now the real person can emerge. And you know that at that point, things are really going to take off with the plot. Yeah, she's going to find her dream man, and her dream man is finally going to accept her and realize, oh my gosh, now that she's beautiful, I realize how nice she is. Exactly. Um, and when you start thinking about how often you see makeover montages, you realize that, they, I mean, it is so common yeah. in films, especially films geared towards lady folk. Right. Like, she's all that, which is a big one cited in a lot of places talking about makeovers. The Breakfast Club, Kristen's doppelganger, Ali Sheedy, Mean Girls, Jawbreaker, Prozac Nation, 13, Drive Me Crazy. The list goes on. And frankly, I think we should have a viewing party. Well, we could have an entire makeover film, film festival, Caroline, because not only are there so many movies that include this makeover theme, there are also different kinds of makeover films. This was coming out of the book called The Makeover in Movies, and uh, the author highlights five major themes of Cinderella, Pygmalion, which is you know, My Fair Lady, is the, the go-to film for that, Teen. She's all that middle age and then also social climbing where, you know, you, you go from the zero to the hero. Usually, I think that ties into to the teen. Um, but the origins in pop culture go back before film to magazine. Right. In 1936, the editors of Mademoiselle transformed an ordinary reader, they said, into the made-over girl. Hooray. Hooray. So that's the beginning of, I mean, God, just think about how pervasive makeovers are in our culture. You know, still very popular in magazines, still very popular on TV. You've got shows from extreme makeover where people are getting plastic surgery to like queer eye for the straight guy where somebody's poor schlub of a husband is getting some new pants. It's all over the place. It's amazing the power of a of a good pant. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But perhaps that's part of the appeal, though, of the makeover is that perhaps from the way it's presented, at least all you need is a new pant or <laughs> a certain line of cosmetics or a new haircut. Yeah, and suddenly you are a new person. But early in the days of this makeover trope. A social historian, Lois Banner, would say that the beauty culture of the early 20th century really exploited the period's collective, quote, interest in advancing democracy and self-improvement. Yeah. So, I mean, there there is this aspect of makeovers that are very democratic, that is very democratic as far as like anybody can go buy new lipstick. You, too, can improve yourself. 
Well, and speaking of lipstick, uh, cosmetics initially had a really bad rap because only women who uh, were actresses or w- women of the night might put on a lip rouge. <laughs> and so it took a little a little advertising and also the popularity of film to make uh, cosmetic makeovers something that would be appealing to the everyday gal. Right. And if you look at... Uh, film makeovers and, and things like that, they really, in that early period, echoed beauty advertising of the period of the 1940s and 50s with that emphasis on heterosexual romance where marriage is the reward for proper grooming and consuming. Now, the very first high-profile film that includes a physical makeover as the center of the story arc is a 1942 movie starring Betty Davis called Now Voyager. And Elizabeth A. Ford and Deborah C. Mitchell, who wrote that book, uh, The Makeover in Movies Before and After in Hollywood Films, 1941 to 2002, kick off their exploration with Now Voyager. And they talk about how leading up to its release, uh, the studio really worked hard to only promote Betty Davis's after image when she is transformed as his character, Charlotte Vale, from a very dowdy spinster to this very classy, well-dressed, sexually appealing woman. Right. And the promotional materials describe just how much work had to go into making Betty Davis look bad. They were like, no, 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 we assure you she doesn't have cankles. That's padding. And so they really wanted to promote this image of like, you know, the the swan, like you said, this beautiful woman, this real person emerging from some sort of fake shell. The, the shell, the ugly shell, the before wasn't as genuine in, in a lot of these movies as the after. Like, finally, she's her real self. Yeah, and Ford and Mitchell talk about how the studio would want to promote the after image more because the before image for viewers would be more of a shock right. that you wouldn't want to give away because it, the public already knew that Betty Davis was an attractive woman. And uh, they also talk about how, you, you mentioned Kinkles, Caroline. They talk about how in the before signifiers in Now Voyager in Included Charlotte Vale's orthopedic Oxfords, thick stockings, thick ankles, which I don't know how you you go, you magically go from thick ankles to slender ankles. You know, it's it's ankle lifts. Oh yes, ankle crunches. Ankle crunches, of course. Uh, of course, bad clothes, a dumpy figure, uh, glasses, no makeup, heavy brows, heavy dark hair in a bun, and then after. The signifiers are, there's usually the uh, going with the, the feet up shot to reveal, mm-hmm. you know, and then revealing her lovely face. Stylish shoes, silk stockings, shapely legs and ankles, awesome clothes, a trim figure, no glasses, of course. Oh, God, no. Heavens no. Good makeup, shapely brows, a lovely chapeau, <laughs> and a flattering hairdo. Yeah, and uh, Angela Claire Dancy, who wrote her dissertation on this topic for Ohio, the Ohio State University, excuse me, in 2005, talks about all the different aspects of makeovers and, and goes into that whole democratization of beauty issue, that it's all open to you. You know, you, you watch this makeover movie, you get inspired, and hey, ladies, it's all open to you, too, if you just buy these same products, wear these same type of clothes. But the thing is, it's not actually... That democratic because it's happening to someone who's already beautiful. Uh, Dancy opens her dissertation by discussing the fact that 
actresses are disguised as ordinary, unattractive, or even ugly. And when they get a makeover on screen, it's just really a restatement of their already recognized glamour. You already know when you're watching now, Voyager, that Betty Davis is going to emerge as this beautiful woman, but it's it's her already. So when, you know, someone like a Cameron Diaz or a Julia Roberts gets a makeover in a movie, you're like, oh, it's okay because she's beautiful. And as soon as she takes those glasses off... And changes out of some overalls or hooker boots, she'll be great. And that's why uh, Dancy refers to this as a fantasy of agency that kind of mashes up the consumer culture of all you need to do is buy a bunch of stuff and that will make your life better in the narrative structure of old school fairy tales like Cinderella. And it sets up this contradictory ideology that's both egalitarian and elitist because it's egalitarian. Because it's telling us that, hey, all you need to do is make a trip to the mall and get all the ingredients for your makeover. And yet elitist, because like you mentioned, Caroline, if perhaps your face does not have the incredible bone structure of Cameron Diaz, then, you know, it's it's still a selective kind of thing. Right. And she she makes an interesting argument about post-feminism and feminism in general. And she says that these this makeover ideology is a certain kind of post-feminism. She says it's the intersection of a pre-feminist regressive manipulation of appearance with feminist notions of individual achievement and success. So in other words, shopping is powerful and makeovers in these films associate shopping and haircuts and new lipstick and new shoes with both agency and pleasure because once you get the makeover, you're, you're more Powerful, happy, popular. You got the man. What more could you possibly want? Which sounds like an incredibly twisted and misinterpretation of feminism because undergirding all of this is an adherence to a very strict definition of beauty. Right. Because a lot of times, you know, you end up, I'm thinking about that scene in She's All That when the character, the lead character, Lainey Boggs, uh, descends down the stairs and all of a sudden, you know, she has pushed up boobs and a tight dress that hugs her curves in all the right places. And no glasses. No glasses. Makeup, shapely brows, you know, her, her facial hair in check. And of course her, there's sometimes even, you know, the scenes of shaving. All of your body hair is taken off and you're wearing high heels, etc. And the man's eyes just go, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that removing the hair thing. I mean, that's definitely part of, the ritual of feminization, as Vincent Vinicus, a history professor of University of Arkansas Little Rock, would say, that also involves putting on that makeup, getting that proper hairstyle, not being outside the norm anymore. And a lot of these people, including Dancy, uh, who, who talk about makeovers, discuss the issue of correct femininity and, and making these women go from something which is outside the norm. So, you know, Lainey Boggs wearing glasses and overalls to, oh, well, now she's wearing a cute hairstyle and a red dress. Which I would say, though, that Lainey Boggs's thick frame glasses and overalls would be a perfect outfit for summer 2013. 
I'm just saying. She would be very on trend right <laughs> she now. She would be. I looked at her picture picture from the movie. I was like, well, she just looks like any other hipster. I think uh, my summer 2013 look is going to be Lainey Boggs. She's all that pre-makeover. Pre-makeover. Or maybe just Ally Sheedy <laughs> pre-makeover. Because, <laughs> I mean, I've already apparently got the face. Don't Just don't shake your dandruff over a piece of paper. I promise I won't do that. I'll keep my dandruff to myself. <laughs> So part of this correct femininity that these researchers would discuss is whiteness. I know that sounds weird, but they uh, argue that the overwhelming majority of makeover recipients in these films are straight white women. So then when you're talking about what is correct femininity as portrayed in a makeover film... It tends to, yeah, just happen to young white women. Well, yeah, and this mirrors the the beauty culture mm-hmm. at large because, I mean, if you think about it, um, this there there is there tends to be a conspicuous absence of racial differences when it comes to cosmetics advertisements. This is something that is getting better these days. But the legacy of it is, you know, when you look on billboards, when you look at magazine advertisements of models, it's overwhelmingly white faces. Right. Um, but going back to Mademoiselle, this is kind of going back to some more makeover history. Mademoiselle, who was the first in 1936 to feature a makeover in their pages, uh, in 1967 featured the first makeovers for, quote unquote, distinct racial beauty types. It is worth noting that is 31 years after the first one with white women. And this quote-unquote correct femininity extends not just to how women do themselves up, but also how they approach their intellectual lives, not so surprisingly. Suzanne Ferris wrote an essay called Fashioning Femininity in the Makeover Flick as part of a collection called Chick Flicks, Contemporary Women at the Movies. And she talks about how in a lot of these makeover movies, women are seen as the agents of their own transformations, yet they still fall into the beauty culture. And while they're doing all of this, they have to grapple with what to do with their intellectual lives, because a lot of times the the glasses, for instance, the heavy hair in a bun, all that stuff is to symbolize outwardly that these women are intellectually curious and smart and thus not appealing to the heterosexual, usually love interest. Yeah, she cites uh, how, you know, how these movies reflect culture, uh, culture of the time. And in the 1950s, she cites Funny Face, in which Joe Stockton, Audrey Hepburn, abandons her intellectual desires and capitulates to marriage. She she goes, you know, she she departs from her philosophical love interest and goes to the steady guy. Then she looks at how the culture in the 1990s is different and cites the movie Party Girl starring Parker Posey, uh, which ends with Mary finding, oh, sorry, spoiler alert, which ends with Mary finding a satisfying career and a supportive boyfriend, reflecting the expectations of the period that a young woman find both personal and professional success. Well, and the funny thing about Party Girl is that it's sort of a, a makeover in reverse where Parker Posey goes from being the party girl to the glasses wearing librarian. But 
a lot of it still is fueled by trying to get the attention of the smart guy. The guy, yeah, yeah. who in, in that case, in Party Girl, is a falafel vendor. And in Funny Face, I would just like to say that it is a young Audrey Hepburn who capitulates to a marriage to an aging Fred Astaire, which for people who know what I'm talking about, like that right there sums up <laughs> so much of, of what is still a little bit imbalanced about our heterosexual dating values. Right. But anyway. But she looked so cute doing it. She did. Oh, my goodness. That was one of the the films, side note, that cemented her classic look of the the boat neck and the cropped pants and ballet flats. Yeah. I mean, Audrey Hepburn, too, is kind of the leading face of makeovers in movies because you have her in Funny Face. My Fair Lady, she's also in Sabrina. There might be another, oh, a, a Roman Holiday in which she does not really a makeover, but sort of goes in disguise. So like an actual make-under, kind of a life make-under. A life make-under, yes. And it's so funny that that she's the one because, I mean, he, you can put her in a burlap sack <laughs> and she's gorgeous no yeah. matter what. But I guess that also still speaks to that duality of the egalitarian message with the elitist truth of it. Right. I mean, because you can't, I mean, what average woman is going to look good in a burlap sack? That's why you have shows like uh, What Not to Wear. Exactly. Or you just belt it, Caroline. <laughs> you belt can it you, and go. Can you tie it at the corner okay, and like, put it through one of those plastic rings? Yeah. Yeah. Over leggings? Uh-huh. Yeah. Rock the 80s look side ponytail. I'm loving it. <laughs> There's a new summer 2013 look <laughs> for us. Um, but let's talk more about this idea of what, what the transformation is all about because it's an act of removal usually and it's a removal of hair there's usually some kind of haircut involved the eyebrow waxing the maybe lady mustache waxing the shaving of the legs the snapping of glasses uh, there's always a dramatic glasses snap. are so expensive why would you snap them yeah and you would still even if you get contact lenses you still need glasses just saying and usually the removal of baggy clothes because there's always a gorgeous figure underneath I know. And the the unattractive before girl usually sports that frumpy wardrobe and glasses that signal her intelligence and independence, but but lead men to shun her. It's like, I can't I can't see you through the glasses and the outfit, lady. Where are you? But so after the makeover, then you uh, like we said, you have the male love interest who is like stunned. He's like, oh, my God, I I couldn't see your face under those frames. I had no idea what you look like. You're beautiful. There's a film montage of those moments when the guy first sees the maid over lady in movies like She's All That with Freddie Prinze yeah. Jr. looking at the reformed Laney Boggs. And it's the same thing of like, all of a sudden, it's like the blinders have been taken off. And there's usually a staircase. There's always a staircase. Yeah, and they're the always have a staircase involved. Well, they're always walking slowly towards the man. And I mean, that happens in Miss Congeniality when she's walking across the tarmac towards what's his name? Benjamin Bratt. Uh, Breakfast Club, Ali Sheedy walking out of the office towards Emilio Estevez. Vertigo, Judy, who's in the movie transformed into Madeline, walks toward him in this haze of green light. Walking toward Jimmy Stewart. It was like, oh, <laughs> Madeline, is, is, that, is that you? So is it really so much 
that we want to transform ourselves, one writer asks, or is it more that we want to transcend all of this crap about our thighs and our glasses and our eyebrows? Autumn Whitfield Medrano wrote a post for The Beheld in March 2012, where she writes that really our goal behind all of this makeover stuff is going beyond, rising above and triumphing over our insecurities. She says, you know, we want to transcend the features that we think have held us back, be better than our troublesome thighs, she says, or nose, and triumph over what those features have meant to us. Yeah, she talks about how the makeover is a stand-in for the longer, harder work of transcendence. And maybe that's part, again, of why, even though you and I probably have watched these makeover movies and know in the back of our heads all of this stuff about what it's peddling to us in terms of beauty culture and how to get men's attentions and by using our bodies instead of our brains and realize the flawed messages perhaps and yet still find a satisfaction in seeing it. Sure. No, I mean, I can't express to you how much I love What Not to Wear. Right. I mean, I realize that's not a movie, that's a TV show. But, like, there's a certain argument to be made for beyond just, like, the superficial aspect of you're putting on a dress, you're putting on some makeup, you're cutting your hair. There's a certain argument that they make that is, I think, true, which is, like, a lot of these women who go on these shows... You know, they don't take time to take care of themselves whatsoever, like emotionally, mentally or physically. So the fact that they're kind of they are being taken out of their element and, you know, here's a new dress. A lot of these women end up crying and feeling better about themselves. And so I love the reveal because it's so emotional. Right. I mean, because in that sense, it's uh, you can think of it not as well. It's just peddling consumer culture. It's like, no, there is a difference between good-fitting and ill-fitting clothes. Right, and it's not that you should care so much what other people think about you that you, like, can't emerge from your closet in the morning. But, you know, I mean, I realize how superficial makeover movies are, but there is a certain satisfying aspect of, of I don't know, I'm whatever I say at the end of the sentence, I'm going to sound like a superficial jerk. Well, no, I mean, I, th- I think, though, that that's why... Autumn's post on The Beheld, which, by the way, um, I'm a big fan of The Beheld. It's an awesome beauty blog. Autumn Whitfield Madrano is a great writer. She also writes over at The New Inquiry. Uh, you should follow her on Twitter and read her blog because she's fantastic. And she does a beauty roundup every Friday. Now I'm just talking about The Beheld, but I'm just saying go see it. She's she's uh we're mutual f- fans of each other. Um, but that's why, though, her point about transcendence really rang true with me because it's not having, it's not being told you need to change pretty much everything about you. Mm-hmm. It's ways to maybe transcend, to go above, to work around. Right. Um, what, what might have been troubling you in, in the past. And you could argue on the other side, well, you know, just accept everything, anything and everything. And while that does sound mighty nice, it is mighty hard. Yeah. I mean, I learned after middle school when I was wearing pleated shorts to transcend things by just not wearing pleated shorts. And I learned <laughs> in my sophomore year of high school that perhaps blonde highlights <laughs> and brunette hair... It's not the best idea. Um, but we've been talking 
just about women and makeovers because most of makeover films do deal with a female protagonist who gets a makeover because, you know, from, from the ugly duckling to the swan. But what about guys? It's not as common, but male makeover movies certainly happen. Yeah, I mean, there's Crazy Stupid Love, which is mediocre, except for the scene where Ryan Gosling takes his shirt off. But there- Steve Carell gets a makeover. He does. And yes, he looks great. And he goes from looking like Steve Carell on the weekend <laughs> to Steve Carell At in work. the office. Right. <laughs> no, it's, it's a, you know, it's a fun, uh, fun makeover. There's also, you know, I mean, Superman. And he has to not only make himself over, but make himself under. Clark Kent. Well, and all he really has to do, too... Put on glasses. Put on glasses, which is the most magical part of all, to me, about Superman. Um, there's also The Nutty Professor. Um, and someone mentioned Groundhog Day in one of the articles we wrote, but that's more of an inner, inner makeover. Inner makeover. Uh, the Shape of Things, Avatar, where he decides to remain the blue guy. I actually, to this day, have never seen Avatar. Drive Me Crazy is sort of like the male version of She's All That from the simil- a similar era, starring Adrian Grenier and Melissa Joan Hart. Yeah, Clarissa. Yeah. She's explaining it all to him <laughs> about how to be popular. God, I worshipped her when I was younger. I... Every episode, I was like, I want her clothes. And then I went back and watched it when I was a couple years ago, I guess. And I was like, oh. <laughs> anyway, and they also cite Larry Crown as a male makeover movie with Tom Hanks. And Vulture.com uh, made a, a funny video about the three steps to a male makeover. And they, they proved it with a, a montage where, number one, you get wax. There's always either the chest hair wax or the back hair wax. Two, you gotta get a new hairdo of some sort. And then three, get clothes. The male makeover is usually a simpler operation than the female makeover, but it's usually that integral waxing that drives home the point of how hard it must be to, to go through all of this. But, but the thing is though, so, uh, some people would argue that makeovers with men are usually more about getting an inner transformation. Whereas the message with a lot of the makeover movies that feature women are that yes, they get makeover made over on the outside, but it ends up only highlighting how perfect they really were to begin with. Whereas makeovers with men usually use some kind of outward transformation to facilitate an inward transformation as well. Right. Confidence, like with Steve Carell, like he got this outward makeover and he finally learned how to talk to women, you know, go on dates, things like that. Which ultimately ended up assisting his at-home relationship. But it's interesting, though, that there is that that different approach. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think in some, for instance, in Drive Me Crazy with Adrian Grenier and Melissa Joan Hart, you know, where you take this schlubby guy and turn him into like a hot popular guy in high school. I think that ultimate message is, yeah, he's fine on the inside too. Melissa Joan Hart, you need to be less shallow. But um, I think it, the, that contrast, though, is interesting where most of the time it's the guy who needs some kind of inner makeover, whereas the girl needs an outer Makeover, mm. And some would argue that that is because women are valued more for what they look like and men are valued more for what they do. Yep. Mm. And here we circle back to norms, norms <laughs> and more norms. So, yeah, now I'm going to be curious to hear from folks about what what it is about the makeover montage and trope that is 
so oddly satisfying. Yeah. Because it's enduring. I mean, it's something that pops up in films over and over again, and I don't think that we ever really get tired of it. No. I I, I don't. I would think that I would, but I, I don't. As evidenced by my passionate argument about what not to wear. <laughs> exactly. Well, maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe we do want to buy into uh, a fantasy of agency, whether it's, you know, realistic or not. Well, the idea also that you will put on a dress that fits well and you will feel better. Mm-hmm. Like, just that idea. I mean, I don't think that's true. I don't think that I'm going to put on a really nice fitting pair of slacks and all of a sudden feel like a million bucks. But, I mean, there is that idea when you're watching these makeovers, whether it's on TV or in movies, where you're like, oh, just imagine how much better she feels. But you have to remember, though, that in a lot of these films, the makeover for the leading lady is a high-risk thing. Because once she gets made over, it changes her entire life because all of a sudden she's getting all of this attention, Mm -hmm. whereas she used to be able to just hang back in the shadows (laughs) creepily, apparently. (laughs) Uh, And what's going to happen when all of a sudden your life blows up because... You took your overalls off. and you, you probably become even more enriched as a person because you realize how shallow some people are. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people's true colors come out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the makeover is both rewarding and risky, apparently. <laughs> but I do want to hear from listeners, though, about their their favorite makeover movies. What they take from these makeover montages are surely, Caroline, we are not alone in loving a good makeover montage. Oh, look at how successful they are. Oh, we also, did we mention Clueless? No. That might be, that's definitely in my top five. Yeah. It's, uh, that's that's a good one. So uh, I could keep talking about all of my favorite makeover movies, but now I'd love to hear from folks listening. Makeover movies, send them our way. Momstuffdiscovery.com is where you can email us. You can also hit us up on Facebook or tweet us your favorite makeover movies at momstuffpodcast. Hashtag makeover magic or whatever. But before we get to a couple of your letters, Caroline, let's take a quick break. And now, back to our letters. Well, we've got a couple here about our episode on cesarean sections. And I have one here from Sherry. And she writes, I planned a natural childbirth, declined all drugs because I didn't want to have a C-section, and new drugs would make it more likely. After 24 hours of labor, oh my goodness, and my son being stuck in the birth canal, I just wanted him out. The doctor, who was a woman, tried several times to turn him and get him out, which was excruciating. When I cried out in pain, she told me, this is what you get for not having an epidural. Ugh. Kind of rude. I did not really hear her, but my husband did. I thought that maybe she was just having a bad day, but she repeated it when I went in for my post-surgery follow-up. So don't think it's just men pushing the idea of C-sections and drugs. In my pre-delivery research, I found an interesting statistic that a lot of the emergency C-sections happen right before the shift changes so the doctors can get out of there. I'm a veterinarian and understand wanting to go home, but that is what they signed up for when they chose the profession. That's disconcerting. Yeah. Oof. And I have one here from Taryn. Uh, she says, I live in South Africa. I had my son three years ago by cesarean. She says, cesareans are extremely common in South Africa in the private medical sector, 80%, because of the very low risk of complications and the convenience. 
I had a spinal block and did not feel a thing during surgery. For the next 24 hours, I had a self-administering morphine drip, awesome, she says, and still felt no pain. This was followed by pain pills for a couple of days with full mobility. I have to say the entire experience was very civilized and I did not even break a sweat. I was completely able to perform all the duties expected of a new mom. A week later, I had coffee with a lady who delivered naturally on the same day as me, and she was in a lot of pain from the stitches she had to have after she tore. Eek! Having a baby, she says, is like starting an 18-year marathon. Natural birth would be like going to a spinning class before the marathon, whereas a C-section is more like having a nap. And that's interesting, Taryn, because a lot of people that we've been hearing from, and we've been hearing from a lot of people, have compared childbirth in whatever form to a marathon. A lot, like a lot of you out there, I don't know if you're reading the same magazines or just having the same experience, but a lot of you have been saying that childbirth is a marathon. Well, I hope ultimately it's more of a fun run. <laughs> Down the road. Whee! Hooray! That's interesting though. Yeah. And <laughs> a little terrifying. Ah, uh, I know. Well, to my womb. We're two ladies without children, so everything about childbirth sounds scary. Yeah. Yeah. Although, you know, maybe not a 24-hour self-administering morphine drip. Yeah. There we go. That sounds acceptable. That's comforting. Well, thanks to everybody who's written in. Momstuffatdiscovery.com is where you can send your letters. You can also message us on Facebook. Tweet us and follow us at MomStuffPodcast. You can tumble with us on Tumblr at StuffMomNeverToldYou.tumblr.com. And don't forget to watch us as well on YouTube. We publish new videos on YouTube three times a week and you can find us at youtube.com slash stuff mom never told you and since that's not enough to keep you busy how about going to our website while you're at it and reading some articles it's howstuffworks.com for more on this and thousands of other topics visit howstuffworks.com howstuffworks.com